the Lord created you creative for a purpose. And he gave you those, those passions and that creativity before he gave you children. And so there are ways there, there's a time when yes, it probably, you have to figure out how to fit and fit it into the cracks and crevices of your days. But then there will be a time where there will be sort of this like awakening, kind of a renaissance, if you will, as the kids get older. And so don't, don't completely ignore them or even write them off because there will be a time when you'll be able to return to that, that part of who the Lord created you to be. Hey, it's Billy. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode of Start Small, Believe Big, we will hear from award-winning author Kelly Stewart. Kelly is a writer and a storyteller at heart, a graduate of Baylor University with a degree in English professional writing and a minor in the Russian language. So impressive, Kelly. Kelly has honed her skills in the written word through editing, ghostwriting, blogging, and traveling the world. She's the author of the Carol award-winning novel like a river from its course based on true stories from ukrainian world war ii survivors her second novel a silver willow by the shore was the niea winner for literary fiction and received the ippy silver award for literary fiction in 2020 kelly's third book the fabulous Freaks of Monsieur Beaumont, I probably butchered that, my Southern accent, released in August of 2021. In addition, Kelly's part of a collection of short stories in the Christmas release, It's a Wonderful Christmas Classics Reimagined. Kelly has co-authored the nonfiction books, Dare to Be Wise with Joe White and Life Creative Inspiration for Today's Renaissance Mom with Cindy Speak. Today, we're talking with Kelly about her new novel, The Master Craftsman. When Ava Lane's dying treasure hunter father entrusts to her his mission to find a missing Fabergé egg, she has no idea how high the stakes will climb or how her allegiances will be tested. In this book, you will join in the hunt and the dual-time narrative that plunges you into the 1917 Russian Revolution, the fall of the Romanovs, and long-buried Soviet secrets. Kelly lives in Tampa, Florida with her husband and five children. More with Kelly in a minute. First, I want to thank you for listening. All of the episodes of my podcast, social links, email, and book information are on my website, billyjouse.com. You can find Kelly's books and website in the show notes. I believe when we begin to grow our faith with small steps while believing in our big God, we will be empowered to live out our calling and purpose one step, decision, and action at a time. Let's not resist that small beginning, but persist in the next thing God is calling us to. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. We're going to get into your new book, The Master Craftsman, in a minute. But I want to hear, I always like asking authors about the beginning of their writing career. And it seems like you had a very clear picture that this was going to be your life. Tell me about that. Yeah, I I was always a storyteller. And um, when I went to college, you know, I sort of bounced around in majors. I started out as a a musical theater major and moved to telecommunications. I think I had a brief stint in psychology. I don't know what that was. A psychologist could probably break it down for me. Um, (laughs) But... I, my, the end of my sophomore year, I was taking a writing course and, um, I wrote a paper. I I think it was on Chernobyl. Like it was on something like really kind of random. Um, 
And my professor pulled me aside one day and said, listen, your paper was really, really, really well written. I think that you have a talent here. And I just want you to know, I submitted your paper to a local writing contest and it won. Um, and I was like, oh, well, thanks. Um, and he said, you know, we've started this new major here called English professional writing for people specifically who want to look into the publishing track of the writing world, not necessarily journalism. And I think you'd be a good fit. So um, so I jumped in and um, just fell in love with with writing and publishing and storytelling. So I did know when I graduate that that's what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And I actually, before I even graduated, I met Joe White, who was the owner and director of Canicut Sports Camps up in Missouri. Um, my husband, he was my fiance at the time, but he he had been a big Canicut guy. And he connected us and Joe was in process of writing a new devotional, but he was very busy and he needed help. So he hired me to be a ghostwriter. And this was sort of my first, you know, maybe call it big break or whatever. Um, and about halfway through the process, Joe called me and he said, hey, do you want to just be a co-author with me? Like, I, I think we could just work better together this way. So um, so I signed my first book deal before I even graduated college. Um, wow. I learned a ton. I did a lot of things wrong. I was very green. Um, I think that publisher probably hated me because I did everything wrong. I had no idea what I was doing um, as far as just writing and formatting and like what what you had to cite and what you didn't have. Like, because it was nonfiction, I, I was just like, I'm going to tell stories. Um, but it was a great experience and I learned a lot. And and then I just sort of stay, found steady work as a ghostwriter and editor. While on the side, I had this idea for a story, this novel about World War II survivors from the former Soviet Union. I'd actually started that my senior year at Baylor as part of a, a class that I was in. We had to write a novel. And so um, I started it then. So that was 2000. I had my first draft of that book and I just sort of slowly worked on it on the side while I was blogging and editing and doing freelance work. Um, but ultimately ended up that that book got published in 2016. So it was a long process. Yeah. So you're telling me you don't write a book in a month and publish it and it just hit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, was a, it was a solid, well, it was 16 years from the first draft to publication, yeah. but I would say from like the working draft where I really like caught hold of the story and figured out what it was going to be. It was, it was about a decade. Um, yeah. I went to Ukraine in 2003 and I toured the country and I spoke with World War II veterans and I got their stories. Originally, I thought I was going to write it as a nonfiction book. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a really roundabout long time before my own first book was published. Yeah. That it just, I love when authors admit that because I think so many people think, oh, I want to write a book. I'll have a book published in a year. I'll be on the New York Times bestseller list. And there's so much more work that goes into it. I mean, tell us a little more about your research. We're going to talk about the Master Craftsman in a second, but tell me about your research for your books. You know, you said you went to the Ukraine, you interviewed people. Like, Tell me what your process of actually researching for your books is. Yeah, well, I, I've spent a lot of time in the former Soviet Union. So I have a really good understanding of their culture and the people. Um, you know, I speak the language. Once upon a time, I was fluent. I'm, I can understand a lot now. I struggle to speak. But um, 
I, so I, I know a lot to begin with, and there's just so many wonderful stories. I just love that area of the world. And there's so many stories to tell. Um, so after that, I mean, I haven't been back since 2003, but I just do a lot of reading. I read a ton. And then I have a lot of friends here in the States who are Russian and Ukrainian. So I just ask a lot of questions about what life was like for them and growing up and their perce- perception of their, their country and their culture versus my American. And so I try to make sure that I honor their culture and their history and their people well, because that's really important to me. Um, and then I just read a lot of books and and kind of try and dig out and mine out the gold and the stories. Yeah. What's your connection with Russia and the B? I always love people's stories. So <laughs> I love digging into this. Like, what was your connection with Russia? Are your parents Russian? Do, you know, what was your initial connection? What made you begin to speak the language and minor in that? And tell me that story. The Lord. (laughs) Um, I have no familial connection to the former Soviet Union. When I was 15, I was invited to go on a mission trip with a organization called Student Venture. And we went to Minsk, Belarus. And before I even got off the plane, I just had this sense that I would be back. I just, I was immediately in love. And by the end of the two weeks there, I, you know, I knew some Russian phrases and I just, I could not wait to go back. So I went back with them again, my junior year of high school. And then I went back my senior year of high school. And and then when I went to Baylor and I found out they had a a Russian minor available, I decided to minor in the Russian language. So then I went back to Ukraine and spent a semester in Ukraine studying. And I lived with a Ukrainian couple. And um, I mean, there's just, there's no real explanation for it other than I just fell in love with the country. And for a long time, I thought that Um, you know, we were, my husband and I were planning to adopt a child from Russia. We got, we got all through the process and we're waiting um, to be matched with our little girl when Putin passed a law banning Americans from adopting in 2013. And um, so I always thought like, that's why I was, you know, I was meant to raise a child from there, but um, I think I was just meant to tell their stories. I was meant to highlight because especially here in America, we have such a We have a one-sided view of Russia because of our shared history and the tensions and, um, but there's so much more and it's such a beautiful culture and there's such wonderful people and there's so much more than what we just hear in the news. And so I just feel very passionate about telling their stories. Yeah, I love that. It's it's just a divine appointment. Uh, you know, it's like God put you there to be able to um, begin that knowledge at a young age of going over there on a mission trip and then, you know, continuing it through your writing. It, it just amazes me. So now tell us a little bit about your new novel, The Master Craftsman. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, I was, I'm constantly just sort of reading different things to try and figure out like, what's the next story I should tell. And I didn't really have any ideas. And I was reading, I just clicked on this article from Facebook about, um, it was one of the the British monarchs, um, you know, one of the cousins or something had gotten married and had worn a crown and the crown had been, had belonged at one point to one of the Romanovs. So I just clicked on the article because I was like, oh, that's an interesting bit of history. And Buried in this um, news article was this story of, in 2015, somewhere in the Midwest, a scrap metal dealer bought 
what he thought was just a hunk of gold at an auction for $14,000. His plan was to melt it down and sell it. And as he was cleaning it up, he realized he had something much more valuable. And he had one of the missing Fabergé Imperial Easter eggs. And he was able to sell it to a museum for $33 million. Oh, my (laughs) glory. I know. Talking about return on investment. (laughs) And so then I was like, where are, I mean, how many eggs are missing? So I just started researching Fabergé and the Imperial Easter eggs and, you know, realized that between the years, I think it's like 1889 and 1916, Fabergé made 52 eggs for the Imperial family. Um, Every year at Easter, they would give eggs to the Nicholas Romanov would give an egg to his mother and to his wife. And, um, and then when the Russian revolution started, everything disappeared, like they, they pillaged and they plundered. And, um, so to date there's anywhere, depending on what you read, I can't get a a solid, um, take on it, but there's anywhere from six to 11 eggs still missing. And so that just like, as a writer, you're just looking for the question, right? So my question was, well, where are they and can we find them? So that was sort of the genesis of the idea of like, how do I write this? And then as I was researching Fabergé, I realized that he was so innovative. I mean, his eggs were not just like ornate and beautiful. They were really way ahead of his time. They were mechanized. And um, wow. and then as far as being a businessman, like he employed women. Some Two of his most famous imperial eggs were designed by a woman, which was very for, forward thinking for his time. And um, the way that he paid people and paid people for overtime, um, he was an amazing businessman, which is why he was able to get the best of the best for his designs. And so um, it just sort of became this, like, I wanted to tell the story of Peter Carl Fabergé, but I didn't want to just tell it as like a historical fiction story. So it became this dual timeline of there's this young girl in present day who's searching for a missing, missing Imperial Easter egg while back and forth, we're seeing Peter Carl Fabergé and him creating it. And he was really like just in the midst of the Russian revolution. So it was fun to kind of pull all those pieces in. Yeah. So in your book, um, who do you think, I always ask this question and, and I get varying answers, but I always like to ask, who was one of your favorite characters in your book? What was some, was there, was, is it a main character is, you know, is there someone buried in there that you're, I don't know that you find intriguing or that you really liked? To write well, about. The, the master craftsman who designed um, the the two most famous eggs was Alma Pill, and um, she was brilliant. And I really loved researching her and writing about her. And uh, when she and her husband were finally able to escape Russia after the Russian Revolution, she just she was originally from Finland and she just went back to Finland and lived a very quiet life as an art teacher. No one ever knew she had been associated with the Romanov family. And so I just found her to be a really inspiring and and fascinating character to write about. That is awesome. Another thing I saw on your website is that you say you're very passionate and, um, love to talk about inspiring women to live a life of passion. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So my friend Wendy Speak and I wrote a book in, I think it released in 2016 called Life Creative. And, um, you know, Wendy is another author and mother, and we've been, we've been friends since we were newlyweds without children. Um, So we've been friends a long time. And we used to 
um, run these creative retreats where we'd get other creative minded friends together for a long weekend. And we'd go to this little cabin in Northern California and we'd all just kind of go off to our own corners for the day and work on our passions, our creative passions. There were a couple of photographers. There was a teacher who wrote plays and, you know, there were a few authors and, and then in the evening we'd come together and, and share and, kind of a common theme that we found, especially at that time, we all had very young children was it's always difficult to fit in your work. And there's, there was this sort of sense of, am I supposed to lay this aside, um, you know, sacrifice it on the altar of motherhood, if you will. And um, especially when the, the kids are young and they require so much of your time. And we just wanted to write a book to just encourage women that the Lord created you creative for a purpose. And he gave you those, those passions and that creativity before he gave you children. Um, and so there are ways there, there's a time when, yes, it probably, you have to figure out how to fit and fit it into the cracks and crevices of your days. Um, but then there will be a time where there will be sort of this like awakening, kind of a renaissance, if you will, as the kids get older. And um, so don't, don't completely ignore them or even write them off uh, because there will be a time when you'll be able to return to that, that part of who the Lord created you to be, whether that's, you know, creative in the kitchen or you're, you're decorating, like there's so many facets to creativity. It's not just writing and photography. And so I, I just really love talking to particularly moms of, of young children of, you know, you're, you're in what, like the dark ages, that was sort of our metaphor. There's the dark ages where the art seems to be buried, but there will be a renaissance. And so um, in the dark ages, like work on it in the dark. And, and then when that renaissance time comes, you've still been honing that. Yeah. And it's amazing. You're speaking to the choir here because I felt that way. And then as kids started getting out of the house is when the passion for writing and, you know, all of that started for me. And honestly, writing was never on my radar. So with you speaking into these women's lives of just nurturing those creative sides, you don't know where it's going to take you or when it blooms in what form it may be. Mm-hmm. It may not be what you exactly thought it was in the beginning. So that's beautiful. I love that you're encouraging women to do that. Another thing I saw is that you are an advocate for orphan care and orphan prevention. Tell me more about that. Well, when I went on these mission trips in high school, we would always spend a couple of days at orphanages, um, you know, just being with the kids. And, um, and so I, I always had a passion for orphan care and, and adoption. And uh, like I said, my husband and I went through the whole process to try and adopt in 2013. And, and that didn't go through. And um, it was sort of a confusing time. Like, I, I feel passionate about this. I feel called to this, but what is this going to look like for us and for me? And, um, and then in 2000 and 18, like January of 2018, we randomly got an email about a little boy in China who needed a home. And um, it wasn't really anything that we'd been thinking about as far as China, but um, we just decided to sort of take one step at a time and see what happens. And, um, and November 30th, 2018, we came home with a little boy from China and, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a hard road. It's been a long road. He had a lot more, um, health and physical and cognitive challenges than we were told going in. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's been a real learning experience of um, learning to trust because we weren't planning on being parents forever. You know, we weren't planning on um, raising a child and into his adulthood and and having a child with severe special needs. Um, But the Lord 
that's what he gave us. And so, um, you know, it's just been a lot of learning to trust and to hope and how to love well. Um, and so I, I just really am passionate about um, people not not walking into that, looking for the perfect story, um, but but just looking for the story that the Lord wants to write for their family, because our family would certainly be so different without him. And and so as hard as it is, we can we can always say that we're very grateful for. Oh, that's beautiful. What a blessing you guys are. That's huge. And teaching others about it not being the perfect walk, but creating, you know, creating the perfect walk with the perfect one. So I think that's beautiful. What are you working on now? I, are you in the process of another novel? Are you working on some nonfiction? What are you working on now? I am, you know, this past year was really busy with releasing a novel in August and then releasing a novella collection in December. Um, and then a good friend of mine had written a screenplay for a movie that got picked up and produced. And um, I had done some editing on that. And it's a very random story, but um, auditioned for a extra role and got cast in a supporting role. So we filmed that last year and that's releasing in a couple of months. And so what is the name? Long. What is the name of that? Well, oddly enough, it's called The Author. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right up your alley. Yeah, so it's very <laughs> fitting. So um, it's been a lot of just promoting books. Yeah. And so, um, but this friend of mine that is a screenplay writer, he and I are, are um, working on something together, working on a novel and a screenplay in tandem and and just trying our hand at, at something different. So it's been kind of fun to do something um, that's just strictly creative and and not have any pressure for what's going to happen with it. Um, I think I needed that creative break. Yeah. So tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your books, where they can find you online, social media, all of that. Um, you can find the books on my website at kellystewart.com backslash books. Um, and you can get them wherever books are sold. You can get them through that, that link. And then um, I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm on Facebook as well. And um, so find me either place, you'll, you'll see me somewhere doing something. So this sounds good. I'll actually have all those links in the show notes for anyone that wants to stay in touch. One last question for you. And now that I, I've talked with you a little bit, I don't know that you've ever resisted anything, Kelly. You seem like you really do tackle everything 110%. But the question I ask authors at the end of the show is, what small beginning did you resist only to let go and allow God to take you where he desired? Um, it's such a hard question. I mean, in some regard, I would say probably you're right. I... I I guess my parents always kind of told me if something is within your skill set and your power to do, then you you don't lose anything by trying. So I've never I been super afraid to try things. You know, I mean, these are the same parents that put me on a plane to the former Soviet Union when I was 15, you know, like. That's awesome. <laughs> I would say probably our adoption is probably the closest, like just that. Um, feeling because it was very emotionally traumatic when our first adoption was terminated. And so I was, I was really resistant 
um, and not resistant. I, I knew adoption was for us. I was just, I was scared. I was fearful. And every step of the way, I just kept going, okay, Lord, if you want to close the door, do it now, like do it now. I don't want to get to that point again. And, um, and again, it, it when we took the first steps, we did not know what we were stepping into. We just, we had no idea the path that we were stepping onto. Um, and had we known, we wouldn't have taken the step. So I think that, that, you know, a lot of it is just the Lord protected us from knowing too much um, so that he could bring us the situation that we, that he had for us. Yeah. So, Yeah. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And I love what your parents, how your parents raised you into having the courage to step into a place. I I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kelly, for being with us today on the Start Small, Believe Big podcast. Thank you. It was fun to be here. Good. And I pray that this podcast has encouraged you to allow Jesus to work in and through your life one step, decision, and action at a time. Thank you for joining us today on the Start Small, Believe Big podcast. And if you've been encouraged, please tell a friend. You can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, and remember that Kelly's uh, links will be in the show notes. I hope you're back next week for another episode of Start Small, Believe Big. Now, let's not resist that small beginning, but persist in the next thing God is calling us to. Be blessed, my dear friends. Until next time. Mm-hmm.